if you have a Bible with you, get to uh, the book of Hosea. Hosea, if you need to use the table of contents, uh, there is no shame in that. Table of contents is a resource to be used, not a resource to be ignored like you're a gold star student. So uh, use the book of, uh, use the table of contents, open it to Hosea, and we'll be there in a minute. All right, uh, the book of Hosea, hopefully you're there by now. Today we start a four-part series called Return to Me with going through the Gospel of Luke. Predominantly over the past couple years, we have not been in the Old Testament very much. So the month of November, we're going to be in the, uh, in, the, in the Old Testament looking at four different minor prophets, Hosea. Next week, we're going to look at Habakkuk, and then we're going to look at Joel, and then Jonah on Thanksgiving weekend. But there are 12 minor prophets, and minor simply means shorter, shorter than the major prophets like Isaiah or Daniel. And one refrain that we see in the prophets is this, is this call to the people to return to me, repent and return to the Lord. And I pray the Lord might use his living and active word here in the month of November to expose where we need to, as individuals, as households, as the household of faith at Crosspoint, where we need to return to the Lord. Sally Lloyd-Jones, who wrote the Jesus Storybook Bible, if you have young children at home, I'd encourage you to get this. The, uh, the, it's a free resource. We have it back there at Guest Connections. We have four or five. You're, avail- you're, you're welcome and invited, encouraged to grab one of those. But it, it reminds us of how Christ is in all of Scripture, Genesis to Revelation, not just New Testament. It also reminds us of how the gospel is revealed in a variety of stories, including the Old Testament. And so I encourage you to get that. But, but she wrote this, most of all, the Bible is the story, the story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. And in spite of everything, no matter what, whatever it costs him, God won't ever stop loving his children with a wonderful, never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Our God is a God of faithful love, generation after generation. And I can think of so many times in my own life where I was not faithful in response to that great love for me. I was not faithful to Him in response. When I thought that this, over here, whatever this is, there's been a multitude of opportunities in my life, multitude of options, where this over here was worth more of my devotion, affection, attention. The Bible word for these things in our lives that we hold up as greater than our God, who we give greater attention to, the Bible word for that is is these are idols, idolatry. Theologian John Calvin said the human heart is is a perpetual factory for idolatry. It just spits them out. Our hearts can crank out a multitude of things that we want to worship instead of the Lord. Romans 1.25 says they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served what has been created instead of the creator who is praised forever. So Romans 1 reminding us that we are all born with sinful hearts that are bent toward worshipping created things, idols, rather than our creator. This is true for all of us, me included. And yet throughout our eternity, our God and his faithful love remains calling all to turn from their idolatry and return to his love, to enjoy his love, to receive his love in the gospel, to see how great his love was and is displayed through the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And his love is a never stopping, never giving up, 
kind of love, a love that continues to pursue the wayward and chase down the wanderer and calling home the prodigal. Hosea is a love story, but most certainly not the type of love story that we might expect or anticipate. So where does Hosea and the other minor prophets fit in the storyline of Scripture? Well, in Genesis, the first book in your Bible, we read that the Lord told Abraham that through his family line, a great nation of people would come, that the Lord would bless these people, and through them, they would be a blessing to others, that all the peoples on earth would be blessed through Abraham's family line. The number of Israelites grows to millions. They become enslaved by the Egyptians. The Lord miraculously sets them free, leads them into the promised land, says to them, you shall have no other gods before me. Worship me alone. Love me above anything or anyone else, for I am the one, the Lord says, that set you free. The Lord gives them ten commandments to show them how it is to live a life devoted to the Lord and how that life of devotion to the Lord will lead them to life, lead them to good and lead them to joy and freedom. He rescues them, redeems their life from slavery, takes care of them into the promised land. And what do they do in return? They sin. And they turn from Him and worship created things. They don't follow the commands of God that are for their good. And sin has consequences and they are sent out into the wilderness in judgment as a result of their sin. And this is the ongoing cycle in the Old Testament. The people who the Lord had called to love Him and be a blessing to others, instead of doing so, they turn away from Him. Their hearts get hard. And how does the Lord respond? Well, besides Him bringing consequences for their sin and rebellion, which they have brought upon themselves, He also continues to love. Because this is who our God is. Exodus 34, 6 and 7, he describes himself in this way. He says, The Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. Our God of faithful love continues to call people then and now, return to me, return to me, he says. Turn away from self-centered living. Turn away from sin and rebellion and false worship of stuff and worship me instead. Because sin will, will lead to death. But the Lord's heart for his people is, is life, is life. Out of slavery to sin and into freedom in Christ. Hosea was a prophet of God and the Lord would send prophets to call the people to repentance and faith calling the people to return to the Lord. And Hosea and the minor prophets were mostly written after Israel had turned its back on God. Eventually, the people's hard-heartedness and lack of repentance will lead the Lord to send them into exile. And yet, hope will remain. Hope will remain. The promise to Abraham in Genesis 12 will come to pass through Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God who will come in the flesh in the New Testament as the sent one, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, through the line of King David, the one through whom the nations will be reached and blessed. And so a prophet was sent by the Lord to represent, to speak on behalf of the Lord to people. And Hosea specifically was called to demonstrate God's faithful love to the people who were prone 
to unfaithfulness. The book of, the, the book of Hosea is 14 chapters long. We're going to look at uh, chapters 1 through 3, and then we're going to skip to chapter 14. And in these first three chapters, we see the Lord calling Hosea to demonstrate his faithful love through the earthly example of marriage, using Hosea's own marriage as a parable for the relationship between the Lord and Israel. So starting in chapter 1 in the CSB translation, when the Lord first spoke to Hosea, he said this to him, go and marry a woman of promiscuity and have children of promiscuity for the land is committing blatant acts of promiscuity by abandoning the Lord. Prophets' jobs were never popular jobs, ever, including here. Can you imagine Hosea hearing this from the Lord? So, so you want me to go marry a woman who will be unfaithful to, to me, and, the, and then you want me to have children who will also be unfaithful? Okay. And so in this picture of marriage, faithful Hosea will represent the faithful Lord. The unfaithful wife will represent an unfaithful Israel, representing a people who have forsaken the Lord of love. Hosea will be an example of the faithful love of the bridegroom toward an unfaithful bride, and Hosea will experience the pain the Lord experiences when people are adulterous to him, when you and I say, no, no, this created thing is far more worth my attention and my affection. Hosea will experience the pain the Lord experiences when we choose to be adulterous in that way. When we turn toward enslaving idolatry, it pains the Lord's heart because he knows where such idolatry goes. It goes toward death. It goes toward destruction. It goes toward exile. That's where it lands unless we repent. Verse 3, so he went and married Gomer, daughter of Diblam. And when you preach through Hosea, this is where you insert a joke about Gomer, her name. All right? Tough name for a wife. Tough, tough name. Hopefully you don't have a grandmother named Gomer. I've only known one Gomer. He was an actor on TV. Probably not a popular daughter name in 2021. So he went and married Gomer, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to him, Name him Jezreel, for in a little while I will bring the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu and put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. On that day I will break the bow of Israel in Jezreel Valley. So Gomer will have three children, all of which will have symbolic names. Jezreel refers to an earlier time in the history of Israel where the Lord brought punishment upon the people as a result of their unfaithfulness. And he's saying, it's going to happen again if you don't repent and return to me. Verse 6, she conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. And the Lord said to him, name her Loruhema. See, when you get a microphone in front of me, the words just don't always flow. Loruhema, for I will no longer have compassion on the house of Israel. I will certainly take them away. This daughter's name means no mercy. Israel will experience exile and judgment at the hands of the Assyrian nation who will overrun and scatter them. Again, these names are prophetic warning from the Lord to the people. Repent, repent. For I desire to extend to you mercy, for if you continue in rebellion, there will be no mercy. Verse 6, after Gomer had, had weaned Loruhema, she conceived and gave birth to a son. Then the Lord said, name him Loami, for you are not my people and I, and I will not be your God. So 
So the second son is born now. His name meaning not mine or not my people. Showing that Israel has more or less said to the Lord through their idolatry, hey, hey, we don't want to be your people. We don't want to worship you. We're walking out on you. We're going to be unfaithful to you, Lord. These idols are just too important to us. They grip our hearts far more than you grip our hearts. Verse 10 starts with a key word, though. Yet. Yet the number of the Israelites will be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or counted. And in the place where they were told, you are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. The promise made to Abraham will come to pass. The Lord tells Abraham in Genesis twenty-two seventeen. he says, I will indeed bless you and make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore. The sovereign plans of the Lord will prevail despite the rebellion of the people. God's covenant love will not falter in its pursuit of a people prone to idolatry, which in this picture of Hosea and Gomer's relationship, we continue to see both the never giving up faithful love of the Lord and Gomer or the people's bent toward unfaithfulness. So then moving into chapter 2, and in this chapter, we see both the Lord's rebuke for Israel, again illustrated in the life of Gomer, and his continued pursuit of her with his never stopping love illustrated through Hosea. So verse 2, chapter 2, rebuke your mother, rebuke her, for she is not my wife and I am not her husband. Let her remove the promiscuous look from her face and her adultery from between her breasts. Otherwise, I will strip her naked and expose her as she was on the day of her birth. I will make her like a desert and like a parched land, and I will let her die of thirst. Gomer continues to be unfaithful to Hosea. She rejects the goodness of her faithful husband and is turning toward all these ungodly and dry wells to try to get something out of, which, again, they're dry, they're parched. And so the Lord here is pleading that the people of Israel turn from their sin, lest he exile them from the land, sending them out into a dry, parched desert. The people, again illustrated through, through Gomer, continue to ignore the pleas of repentance from the Lord. Verse 4, I will have no compassion on her children because they are the children of promiscuity. Yes, their mother is promiscuous. She, she conceived them and acted shamefully, for she thought, I will follow my lovers, the men who gave me, the men who give me my food and water, my wool and flax, my oil and drink. So here we see Gomer's wayward heart continue to lead her to follow her lovers. Men who she is trying to find her comfort and security in because this is what idolatry does. It leads us to falsely think that we can find our comfort, our security, our joy in these false altars of worship. In the case of the Israelites here, it was the idol worship of the false god of Baal. For us, idols can be anything. Comfort, security, fear of man, work, money, possessions, a substance, our children, pleasure, power, greed, lust, sex. Again, our human heart is a perpetual factory for them. Pastor and author Tim Keller defines idols as anything more important to you than God. Anything, I love this, that absorbs your heart. That absorbs your heart and your imagination more than God. Anything you seek to 
anything you seek to give you what only God can give you, he says. Illustrated here, it is Gomer pursuing various lovers. So what does Hosea do? Verse 6, therefore, this is what I will do. I will block her way with thorns. I will enclose her with a wall so that she cannot find her paths. She she will pursue her lovers but not catch them. She will look for them but not find them. And then she will think, I will go back to my former husband for then it was better for me than now. She does not recognize that it is I who give her or who gave her the grain, the new wine, and the fresh oil. I lavished silver and gold on her which they used for Baal. So he sets a hedge of hedge of protection, if you will. He's trying to give her, he's trying to keep her from going down these false, false routes, these false paths that are going to lead to death. And why does he do this? Because Hosea loves Gomer. Hosea loves her. Hosea longs to see Gomer come home, return to him. The faithful bridegroom has been watching, watching his bride go down this downward spiral. An unfaithful bride descending further and further down. He's been watching, and what we find out in verse 8 is that the blessings that she thought she was receiving from her lovers, Hosea was actually behind those. Hosea was providing for her. These lovers couldn't even provide for her. So Hosea was quietly providing for her even when she was straying. That, my friends, is the goodness of the Lord on display. Even when you're wandering away toward idolatry, the Lord is pursuing you. His grace is still evident in your life. The idolatry has blinded you, though. But may I remind you, James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. See, deadbeat idols can't provide for you. They cannot provide for you. They will enslave you. Our faithful God is pursuing you, even if you find yourself wandering or straying right now. Despite how Hosea is loving her, Gomer did not repent. Israel continues to reject the faithful Lord and worship false gods. In verses 9 through 13, the Lord declares again that the people will bear the consequences of of sowing to their flesh. They will reap what they sow, and judgment will come. Verse 9, therefore, I will take back my grain in its time, and my new wine in its season. I will take away my wool and linen, which were to cover her nakedness. Now, now I will expose her shame in the sight of her lovers, and no one will rescue her from, her pow- from my power. I will put an end to all her celebrations, her feasts, new moons and Sabbaths, all her festivals. I will devastate her vines and fig trees. She thinks that these are wa- she thinks these are her wages that her lovers have given her. I will turn them into a thicket, and the wild animals will eat them. And I will punish her for the days of the bales to which she burned incense. She put, she put on her rings and her jewelry and followed her lovers, but she forgot me. This is the Lord's declaration. That is a sobering, she forgot me. Have you forgotten the Lord? In all the common grace and the goodness that you have experienced in your life, have you forgotten the Lord? But then, 
in verse 14. We see the Lord will continue to pursue his people. He knows the path that they are on. It's going to land them in the wilderness, and yet he will not forsake them. Even then, he will continue to pursue his covenant people, making a way of hope in the desert, a path back toward his goodness and his love. Verse 14, therefore, I'm going to persuade her and lead her to the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her vineyards back to her and make the valley of Achor into a gateway of hope. There she will respond as she did in the days of her youth, as in the day she came out of the land of Egypt. In that day, this is the Lord's declaration, you will call me my husband and no longer call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals, the the idols, from her mouth. They will no longer be remembered by their names. On that day, I will make a covenant for them. With the wild animals, the birds of the sky, and the creatures that crawl on the ground, I will shatter bow, sword, and weapons of war in the land and will enable the people to rest securely. I will take you to be my wife forever. I will take you to be my wife in righteousness, justice, love, and compassion. I will take you to be my wife in faithfulness, and you will know the Lord. On that day, I will respond. This is the Lord's declaration. I will respond to the sky, and it will respond to the earth. The earth will respond to the grain, the new wine, and the fresh oil, and they will respond to Jezreel. I will sow her in the land for myself, and I will have compassion on Loru Hamath. I will say to Loami, you are my people. And he will say, you are my God. So this great reversal will occur is what he is prophetically saying. The children who are on the path toward no mercy will be shown mercy. On the path of orphans will be brought in and adopted and called the Lord's children. A new exodus will occur by God's grace out of slavery into freedom in Christ. No longer will they worship false gods, but they will worship the one true God. In verse 15, the valley of Achor means the valley of trouble. Israel will go out into the wilderness. She will stumble. She will reap what she has sown. And yet, even in the valley of trouble, in the dark valley, the Lord will open to her again a door of salvation and hope. Why? Why? Because this is who our God is. Exodus 34. The Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. Do you find yourself in the valley of, of trouble today? Maybe you're, on, maybe you're looking down at it going, and, and, the, and the enemy or your flesh is saying, I think that looks like life down there. Maybe you find yourself there, and by the grace of God, he's, you're not there yet. But some of you are right there in the valley of trouble. Have you been sowing to your flesh, and now you're, you're reaping the natural consequences of rebellion and sin? Have you forgotten the Lord? Loved ones, friends, there is hope in the valley is what we find here. And the hope, his name is Jesus. He is the door. He is the gate. He is our redeemer, our deliverer, our rescuer. You're not the first person to find yourself in the valley. We're all born there. Our sin natures lead us there toward adultery to the Lord. So today is the day to turn back. Today is the day to return to the Lord. Today is the day of your salvation. Hope remains. Living hope because Jesus 
beat death on the third day, rose from the dead, so he can be that, that door of hope in the middle of the valley of trouble. Returning to the story of Hosea and Gomer, she has continued to spiral downward until she falls into the hands of a man who did not care for her at all, who ends up selling her into slavery. Because false gods always lead to slavery. Every stinking time. Every time. For all history, that has been the case. Because the enemy of your soul could care less about you. He is not for you. He is for your destruction. The Lord Jesus Christ is for your deliverance, though. He is for your freedom. In that day, Gomer is stripped of her clothes, auctioned off like a piece of property in a public setting. What will Hosea, the husband who has been left, rejected, spit on, despite his goodness, what will Hosea do? Moving into chapter 3, verse 1, Then the Lord said to me, Hosea, the prophet, The Lord said, Go again, show love to a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Just as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes, go again, go again, go again, go again, go again. Never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever, love. See, love defined by the world, it is done by now. It is absolutely done, done by now because worldly love is a contract. I do my part, you do your part. If I break my part, You're not responsible. If you break your part, I'm not responsible. It's contractual love. This is covenantial love. Love defined by the Lord of love. A love that was so gloriously demonstrated while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Hosea is standing at this, at the public auction of his shame-filled, naked, unfaithful wife. Everyone around him is murmuring. What? That's the husband she left what's he doing here i can imagine how he wants her to suffer i I bet he he loves this moment where where she feels so shamed how will the faithful bridegroom respond hosea raises his number and buys her back redeems her life from slavery delivers her from chains covers her nakedness and shame with love verse two so i bought her for 15 shekels of silver and nine bushels of barley. I said, to her, I said to her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be promiscuous or belong to any man, and I will act the same way toward you. Verse 4, for the Israelites must live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, and without ephod or household idols. Afterward, the people of Israel will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come with awe to the Lord and to his goodness in the last days. And then chapters 4 through uh, 13 continue to give different metaphors to Israel's unfaithfulness and idolatry and the Lord's faithfulness, weaving together both these, these two realities that there is judgment for sin, consequences for sin, and yet there is always hope when we repent to the Lord. And then chapter 14 is a call to respond. How do we respond to the faithful love of the Lord, when we find ourselves tempted or enslaved or bowing down to false idols. Verse 1 of chapter 14, Israel 
Return to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled in your iniquity. Take words of repentance with you and and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all my iniquity and accept what is good so so that we may repay you with praise from our lips. And in verses four through eight, Hosea paints this beautiful picture of the restoration that will occur. Because even human sin and rebellion cannot stop the sovereign and good plans of our Lord. Just as in the days of the first exodus in the past, the Lord was faithful to save, and so in present day and in the future, the Lord is faithful to save and restore and deliver. Crosspoint, return to the Lord. Return to the Lord. Crosspoint, take words of repentance with you and return to the Lord your God. Crosspoint, call upon the Lord to forgive all your sin, and for he is faithful and just to do so. And how is a holy God able to forgive an unholy people who are diseased with sin? Because the Father sent the Son who was sinless, spotless, righteous in every way to bear the death penalty that sin had brought. Jesus Christ was sent to redeem, meaning to buy back. To purchase the freedom of the slaves, to set the captives of sin free to heal the broken and rebellious with his wounds, to lead people out of the wilderness and into the land of goodness and rest. Jesus was the one who took our place at the auction, stripped, naked, mocked, spit on, humiliated, beaten for our salvation, purchasing us back in reversal from the auction block. Jesus paid the price in full for our release from sin and its punishment. And he paid it in full, satisfied, sufficient. He paid it in full with his broken body and shed blood. This is what we remember when we take communion. When we consider the Lord's Supper together as believers. When we consider these these realities and take the elements together Brother and sister, the Lord has purchased our freedom and we are no longer in bondage to sin. How good is our God? How good is He? He is holy and just and righteous towards sin. And He will not let the guilty go unpunished and yet He makes a way for the guilty, you and I, to be washed clean. For the guilty to be be declared innocent, to be brought near in our guilt, we run toward the faithful love of the Lord, for only He has the power to forgive and set free and heal. May His love lead to our repentance. When Hosea buys Gomer back in chapter 3, he tells her, I want you to be as committed to me as I am to you. In response to how faithful my love has been to you, I want you to pursue me as a faithful, devoted, above all else wife, all in with the bridegroom. This is the same truth that we see in the New Testament. 1 Peter 2, 24 and 25 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Or 2 Corinthians 5, 15 says, And he died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them. And was raised. We live for him now. The faithful bridegroom, Jesus, loved the church, gave himself for the church, according to Ephesians 5, verse 26, to make her holy, 
cleansing her with the washing of water by the word, he did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. Jesus laid his life down for his bride, the church. May we remember his faithful love toward us as we take communion. May his love lead to our repentance, our rejoicing, and our rest. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink the juice. And Jesus, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for laying down your life for us. Thank you for substituting your life in our place. Thank you that the gospel is this great reversal that has occurred by grace alone through faith alone. Where once we we were condemned, now we've been set free. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Once we were guilty and now we're declared innocent, justified by grace alone. Where once we were covered in shame, you have clothed us in your righteousness, your holiness. I thank you for your goodness toward us. May we live in response to that. May we live worthy of the gospel in response to to the good news of who you are and what you've done and what you will do because you are faithful to do so. We pray this in your name. Amen. The last verse in this book is written to the reader. So Hosea 14.9 says, Let whoever is wise understand these things, and whoever is insightful recognize them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. So may we be people who walk in the ways of the Lord, who hear His voice through His word and, and align our our lives, our daily way of life to His Word, to His voice of truth. And in doing so, we walk and live with wisdom and that leads us to life. We're going to close with just one worship song. So during this worship song is also an opportunity for us to give our offering if the Lord has led you to do so. For those of you who are guests, don't feel obligated to give today. This is our opportunity to, uh, to respond in worship. So, so Lord, be glorified in how we worship, be glorified in how we give. Thank you that you've washed us, you've removed our shame and our guilt, you've covered us in your righteousness, and may we live in response to that. By grace alone, empowered by your spirit, and for your glory alone, we pray this in your name. Amen. Let's stand up and worship. Paul writes this in Romans 5, For while we were so helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for for a just person, though a good person, perhaps someone might even dare die. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then, since we have now been declared righteous by his blood, will 
will we be saved through his wrath? Or saved from his wrath. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now received his reconciliation. That and this is covenant love. Love that changes us and transforms us, leads us to repentance, and leads us to live for him.